Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. I am quickly learning that parenting tweens and teens, which I haven't ventured into yet, is very challenging. It can be made even more challenging when your tween or teen has their own challenges like physical, mental health, or learning challenges. I can totally identify with this experience as I have a tween that I've talked about several times with PANDAS, pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with streptococcal infections. Today, we're going to dig a little bit more into parenting tweens or teens during those difficult times. I'm excited to welcome Helen Wills, who is a blogger at Actually Mummy and has a podcast aimed at taking the fear out of parenting teens called Teenage Kicks Podcast. Helen's going to give us some information on what she has learned walking this journey with her child, and hopefully you will get some great tips today. Enjoy this interview with Helen Wills. So welcome, Helen, to the podcast. I'm happy to connect with you today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Great. So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about your background? Right. Yeah. Um, So I'm a blogger and podcaster, but that is a kind of second career for me. I um started out in retail pub retail um i ran a i was an operations director for a, a big pub retail company here so i ran uh oh i think i had 120 bars and pubs in in central london under my business oh wow um, yeah um and that was a massive full-time 24/7 job um so once I had my children I couldn't do it and there wasn't any way to do it part-time so I just stopped working we were fortunate enough that I could do that um and I stopped working um and then when my youngest got to be about three or four years old I realized that (laughs) I was definitely going to need something else um to stimulate my brain and so I started blogging and it's really just gone from there the blog took off Uh, it's become a source of income for me and now that my kids are teenagers and they don't want me to write about them anymore, um, I've mm-hmm. branched out to talking about other people's mental health as teenagers through my podcast. Ah, very good. Yes. Okay. I can imagine that. I know they get a little more particular once they're, they're teens. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That's great. But I mean, obviously, great topic, mental health to be, um, yeah. you know, working through whether it's um, a guest story or or things of your own. So why don't you tell us a little more experience that you've got in terms of parenting? I know you mentioned that your child had health issues and a diagnosis at a younger age. Similarly, mm-hmm. I um, have talked about a lot on the podcast. My son has a disorder called PANDAS. And, um, you know, I've had a number of parents and practitioners on that have talked about the challenges in uh, parenting, you know, when you're when you're dealing mm. with a health issue on top of just kind of the normal parenting mm. stuff. So I wondered if you could give us a little bit about your experience. 
Yeah, of course. So Maddie, she's 17 now, but she was nine when she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know it, it's um, an autoimmune condition. It's completely unrelated to type 2 diabetes, which tends to get the lifestyle tag. Mm. Um there's nothing we could have done to prevent it. Uh, I think it's probably in our family. Mm. It does tend to cluster in families. Um, and again, for people that don't know it, because I didn't, it's it's devastating. It's absolutely life-changing. It's life-threatening. And it's life-threatening at every minute of the day because essentially, and this is what people don't understand and I really didn't realise, the insulin that you need to take keeps you alive, but it's also a potentially lethal medication if it's given in the wrong doses. And you don't get told what doses to give when you leave the doctor's room. You get told how to calculate what the best guess would be for the dose, given a myriad different factors, not least of which are the carbohydrate that she's going to eat and the exercise that she's either doing or has already done. Um, but the thing that I didn't realize is that insulin is a hormone and we, and hormones are interactive. So blood sugar can go up or down depending on what all your other hormones are doing. And normally, your pancreas responds and doses perfect amounts of insulin to deal with all of that. But because we're on the outside of the body and we don't know what our hormones are doing, we're always playing catch up and having to second guess it. So it's really, really tough and, and really scary. Yeah, wow. It does sound scary. And you're right. Like as much as I've heard of type one diabetes, but you're the way that you've explained it is definitely um, not exactly how I understood. So that's really helpful and sounds like that would be definitely very challenging, um, especially then with a young child. And, you know, there's the challenges of them communicating how they're feeling, I'm sure. Um, mm. I know my daughter has food allergies and, mm. you know, we have EpiPens and things like that. But but even there, you know, we have a challenge with um, understanding how she's feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the first time she had a hypo, which is a, a low blood sugar, which is is kind of, that's the most, uh, that's the most urgent thing to have to deal with. Um yeah, we we spent we I, I really kind of helicoptered her for a little while. I kept on saying, "Well, how do you feel? How does it feel? How are you feeling? Prick your fingers. How are you feeling now? Prick your fingers again," because mm -hmm. we didn't know what to expect, and she didn't know how it was going to feel, and she was quite she was scared about that. She had no idea how it was going to feel, and then of course when when it did happen, it felt horrible. Mm -hmm. um, so, it's, it, and it's really tough to watch your child at that age, a young age, having to take on board the fact that not only is this, it does this feel horrible and happens frequently, um, it's also never going away. It's never ever going to get any better. That's a really hard thing to come to terms with. I think, but anyone that whose child has got a life lifelong diagnosis will will probably relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned that you weren't really given a lot of guidance. And, and I think I could imagine that that's really scary as well. I know I felt that way around the EpiPens, um, because it was just kind of like, 
well, when exactly do I use this? Mm -hmm. You know, there, there isn't really a cut and dry. And, you know, you, you think with food allergies that you're going to somehow see them eat it and then know like, mm. oh, now I can give this and, and this is what she needs. But um, it doesn't really work like that. Like you don't know yeah. that it's in the food. <laughs> yeah, um, that and that scary. wasn't what I had worked through. So I can imagine um, it, the same on your end, like the, the lack of guidance would have been really tricky. Yeah, I mean, but when I say lack of guidance, it, they they did the best they could. Yeah, everyone with, who's diagnosed with type one diabetes will be told this is where you start. This is what we think you're going to need, but you do have to calculate. You basically you calculate insulin according to a ratio that they give you. And then between you and them over time, you adjust it up or down, depending on whether it's working or not. And the ratio could be something like 10 grams of carbohydrate to every one unit of insulin. Um, so they, they work that out based on your weight at the time. But as I say, anything can affect it, including hormones that we have no control over. Mm -hmm. um, so... And it changes. So we we now seven years in. We still change Maddie's carbohydrate ratios um, at least every two or three weeks when we notice that they're not working anymore. And they can go up or they can go down. It might depend on the weather when it, when it's very cold. Um, usually, people struggle to keep their blood sugar up, so we have to reduce the amount of insulin we give. But we can't do it too soon because if we do it too soon and try to preempt this, um, we could cause high blood sugars, which are also dangerous. Oh, wow. So it's very complex. Yeah, and, and delicate, it sounds like. And again, cold. I never would have thought of that, but that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, oh, all manner of things. Actually, the, the hardest time for me was um, as she hit puberty and really started to grow fast for about four years or so. You could see, we could literally see that she was growing in her sleep because she would go to bed with a completely normal blood sugar with the right doses of insulin and she'd suddenly be in the high teen, well, we work differently, but she'd have a very, very high blood sugar that was unsafe to leave alone in the night and we couldn't get it down for four or five hours. Um and then we'd know because three months later at our hospital checkup, she'd have grown three centimeters. Oh, um, wow. And that's what we could see. And that, now that she's 17 and she's not growing so fast, that's much less of a challenge. But she can have low blood sugars in her sleep. And people will, people, you know, in the beginning, people used to say to me, but surely you just take the insulin, avoid the wrong foods and everything's fine. No, you know what to do. And the answer is no, because we have a conversation every night about what have you been doing today? How have your blood's been today? Have you done any exercise this evening? How are you feeling? Are you mm -hmm. stressed? Um, are you coming down with a cold? A, a virus can, can cause problems. Oh. Okay, based on that, what do you think we should do with your insulin overnight? We can have our best guess and she can still have three back-to-back -back low, low blood sugars in the night that we weren't expecting. And you just, that that's the fear that you constantly, you're not even safe while you're asleep. That, that's the biggest worry. And so how do you know when she's having an issue at night? Like, is there some type of a monitor that she's on to? Yeah. To so we're yeah. really lucky. We, um, and I, I fought for this 
very early on, as soon as I realized it was a thing. Um, it, there's a, a device called a Dexcom and it's a continuous glucose monitor. And that's what okay. she has. And basically every 10 days, she inserts this sensor in her skin. It's attached to a transmitter that is kind of, it, it's stuck to her, her belly. Um, and every five minutes, that sends a reading to her phone of what her blood, it can't be 100% accurate, but more or less what her blood sugar is. Um, and because it reads every five minutes, it can show a trend. Is it going up? Is it coming down? Does it look like we need to do something soon? And thank goodness for technology because she has that on her phone and then of course it goes up to the cloud and we can follow it on our phones so it's been a lifesaver because we can sleep at night without it used to be in the early days when she was on finger pricks that I would wake up and this is really normal for parents of children with type 1 diabetes I would check her blood sugar before I went to bed at say 11 o'clock at night and I'd set an alarm for 2 or 3 a.m to go check it again and oh, depending wow. on what was happening then, I might be up for the next hour or I could go to sleep until six. And that's really normal. Um, and I would wake up every morning and I'm not kidding. I know it sounds like an exaggeration, but I, I, I know other parents have said the same thing. I'd wake up every morning. and My first thought would be, is my child alive? And so yeah. this Dexcom has been uh, just a lifesaver, not just for her, but for me, too, because I can sleep. And I know that if it's working well, it will alarm on my phone and tell me I need to go check. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, that does sound like really revolutionary for sure. And mm. and definitely like a, a super heavy weight for you. Um, I'm sure there's been a bit of a you know, mental burden, even if I can mm. call it that, that would go along with that every day, just the uncertainty. And I know I was looking through some of your social media and you had a post up that, you know, that you had been thinking about the fact that you are always calculating carbohydrates in food. Mm. Um, and I thought, wow, that is definitely, that is a big um, thing to to kind of just innately be constantly thinking about. So I wondered if you could kind of talk a little bit about the impact on you as a caregiver mm -hmm. that you found um, in, in supporting your daughter. Yeah, it really has taken a toll on me and it's taking me a long time to recover and I'm still recovering from it. And I don't think I'd realized, I mean, obviously to begin with the initial shock, yeah. um, it, it really was like grief. I've told, I've said this before. It feels exactly like the five stages of grief. Um, it does feel like losing a child um, and starting again with another one because it, it, her life is is not the same. It's the same, but it's different in such a big way. Um, so there was that to get through initially, and then because you do when it's your kids right? You you want the absolute best for them. So you do what you, I stopped working really for two years and it took two years for me to learn everything I could learn about diabetes. Mm -hmm. And that's all I did. I did yeah. nothing for myself. Everything went on the back burner. I counted carbs. I noted, I noted down blood glucose levels. I wrote down every item in every meal that she had for nearly two years to see if, I, because I was so convinced that if I did it perfectly, mm -hmm. 
I would be able to get her into a normal blood glucose range and keep her there. And that would give her the best start in life with this condition. And it took me two years, one, to learn everything I needed to know because it's so complicated. And two, to realize that whatever I did, I was never going to be able to control it. And that was a massive emotional realization that I would have to step back and accept that she wasn't going to have normal blood sugars, whatever I did. And that was really hard to take. Um, that said, I knew that I'd done the very best I could. Uh, so I knew, I knew it wasn't possible. I knew it wasn't my failure. It just wasn't a possibility, but it kind of felt like I had to come to terms with it all over again at that point. Mm. And I had to learn to accept, um, kind of widened barriers of what health looked like. Cause I don't know how anyone else feels, but for me, I was that mum who had a baby and wanted to make everything perfect. So I was pureeing 25 yeah. different types of organic fruit and vegetables for the freezer yeah, <laughs> every yeah. week. I, you know, I wanted her life to be as perfect as it possibly could be. And suddenly I was not in control of that anymore. It wasn't anymore. Um, so when you ask how it affected me at the end of that two years, I really, I, I think looking back, I'd been um, running on adrenaline. I was, I was fighting. I was just living with stress um, and at the end of that two years, when I finally took a big sigh and went, oh, okay, I can't, I can't do this. I need to cut us all some slack. That's when my body really kicked in hard and said, right, you've been ignoring me. Mm. Time for me to show you that, you, that, that I need some attention too. And I, the pain I had, and I have fibromyalgia. Oh, yeah. The pain I had from fibromyalgia was so intense that I, I well, I spent the, the best part of the next couple of years backwards and forwards to doctors trying to resolve that. Um, I've had fibromyalgia for a very long time. I was just listening to your episode on fibromyalgia, actually, and pain. Um, but it was the worst I'd ever had it. And I'm, I'm sure it was just my body saying, okay, it's time for us now. Mm -hmm. um, whereas previously, I'd, I'd been ignoring everything to do with stress for myself because it was all focused on her. Uh, and I'm still dealing with that now. It was after a it's probably about three years ago now. So four years in, I, I, I suddenly thought I've had every medical intervention. I know this is not a clinical sinister issue. I have to now contemplate the fact that this is coming from my nervous system and my mental health. And so I'm going through counseling now to deal with the grief that I didn't really express at the time. Yeah. Wow. No, that definitely sounds like a big impact. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, I don't, and I don't want to liken um, your experience with type one diabetes to different things that I've had as a parent, you know, and in the situation of food allergies or pandas. But I can say that in talking to a lot of parents that um, have children that have went through health situations, like in the pandas community, that a lot of those feelings I've heard as well, like sort mm. of that, um, you know, I, I was exactly the same in terms of like trying to, you know, start my son with this great organic puree and, and things like <laughs> that and getting everything perfect. And then it was sort of like, 
you know, with pandas, the child has brain inflammation and it was like, mm -hmm. okay, now what? Like, I don't mm -hmm. know how to, and it's a bit of a mystery um, at times in terms of um, diagnosis and even um, right. treatment. And, and yeah, so I can completely identify with that, wanting yeah. to learn everything and going like hyperspeed, but then yeah. kind of also having that crash at some point as well. Yeah, it wasn't sustainable. I, I think yeah. all parents who, whose whose children go through something serious and difficult and upsetting like that, that is not temporary, um, is I think all of us go through very similar. Yeah, absolutely. And what about your family? Like, would you say that it's, you know, been a, a bigger impact on, you know, obviously your daughter, yourself? Um, has it has it had an impact on like that full family dynamic? Mm. Oh, completely. Um, yeah. yeah, her her younger brother, he was six or seven at the time. Um, and he was still, he was still very much a, a mommy's boy. He was, he, we were very close and he suddenly had to grow up and, and take more of a back seat. He didn't get me to himself anymore. She was very independent. He really needed me and he, he'd lost that. And I, I do feel quite, guilty still to the day actually about the fact that I suddenly wasn't there for him in exactly the same way as I had been before but he equally really stepped up um, and he's his sister's biggest advocate and he totally gets it he understands and he's very considerate about it he'll do anything she needs if you know if she's really struggling to because when you're when you've got a low blood sugar it can be dangerous to to go anywhere move your body because you could make it worse and that's when it gets very dangerous um but so, sometimes she'll maybe take advantage of that and just text him from her bedroom and go <laughs> can, can you, you please something? bring me some sugar yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he will he never complains um so you know good and bad from that point of view it's been I do often talk about how um in fact one of my best my best performing blog posts is a blog post about uh, I call it not not drowning but waving um the good things about having a type 1 diabetes diagnosis and certainly pulling together as a family and being adventurous and pushing ourselves to find ways to do things um to to not to defeat diabetes but in spite of diabetes that maybe we wouldn't have done if we'd just been an ordinary family um so there's positives but yeah it's put a massive strain on some of our relationships um I mean, I, I get upset that my relationship with her is often governed through necessity by conversations about her health. And mm. as a teenager, she really she really doesn't want that input from me. Um, right. And I don't want to have to give it, but I still have this feeling that I've got a couple of years until she leaves home. Um, anything more I can instill into her brain before she goes off and has to do it for herself, I have to. Um. And then stress on our on my relationship with my husband. We've obviously my attention was diverted from everybody to her for a long time. Um, he we we both took our own roles in managing her diabetes, and so we were quite uh, we were sort of on parallel paths, but not mm. not mixed. We were, we were doing our separate things because there's such a lot to do. Yeah. It, it becomes all consuming. People will say it's like having a full-time job on top of a full-time job. Um, and that's why, why a lot of people with type one diabetes burn out quite frequently. 
Um, so we were burning out and didn't have time for each other. Yeah, well, I think, again, I, you know, as, as parents, that's definitely understandable. You're trying to divide and conquer where you can because you're mm. trying to do the best for your child. So I can imagine that's challenging. Have you read my novel Pendulum by S.E. German yet? If not, what are you waiting for? And if you have, I would love to hear from you. If you don't know about Pendulum, it's a heartwarming story about a young boy who starts to experience neuropsychiatric symptoms after an infection. We follow the boy as he goes through many regular, real middle grade issues like moving, having a crush, playing sports, also while experiencing neuropsychiatric symptoms like anxiety, OCD, tics, panic attacks, and more. If you're interested in checking out Pendulum by S.E. German, it is available through Amazon Worldwide, where you can even see a preview of the book, or you can listen to chapter one, which is on episode 64 of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. I hope you enjoy the novel, and thanks for your support. I wanted to ask a little bit about your daughter. Like you said that you're trying to, you know, kind of instill a certain amount that you can as, as she's getting older before she probably leaves the nest. How, did you notice a big transition um, as she moved from, you know, a child to a tween to a teen? Like, is she, um, or or did you notice more of a challenge, I guess, in terms of, sort of that rigidity like I've heard um around food allergies that there can be almost like a rebellious nature mm -hmm. where they don't want to be as stringent about things you know they kind yeah. of push back against some of the protocols and I've heard that around pandas as well I just wondered is that the situation that you found too yeah to an extent it's um it's really common for teenagers with diabetes to just go you know what I'm sick of this I do mm -hmm. not want to be diabetic anymore I'm not going to take my insulin I'm not going to count my carbs I'm just you know I haven't died yet so I'm probably going to be okay um, and their control can go out of the window and and it is quite a dangerous time um, young people um, with diabetes um and we've had elements of that. She's a really smart girl. I'm really lucky that she takes responsibility for herself. I wouldn't say she's rebelled. Um, that definitely happens to some families. Um, I wouldn't say rebellion is it. It's more minimizing it. Her life is very busy. She wants to be spontaneous because her friends are spontaneous. She wants to do the same as her friends. She wants to drink alcohol when her friends drink alcohol. Um, all the things that teenagers are doing, she wants to be part of. And she really just wants to keep diabetes in its place enough that she can keep doing that. So she, I would say she's not 100% of the time focusing on the finer detail of it like I would. Um, but then that's another thing that I've had to come to terms with because whilst it's really hard to watch knowing that if I was controlling this for her, I'd probably keep her in a slightly better range. I also want her to have a normal adolescence. 
I don't want her to grow up with stigma around her condition. And I don't want her to grow up thinking that her life is limited because of it, because that's when she'll start to really resent it. And that's when the rebellion could kick in at any point in her life, actually. That makes sense. So trying to kind of keep her mindset almost around it as positive as possible. That, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Um, I wondered if you could talk about any of kind of the tools that you've used um, to support your family, like your child, yourself. You talked a little bit about um, moving into um, counseling and things like that, but have have you had any other tools that have been really helpful? Well, I mean, for me, it's definitely been the counseling. Um, and that's a really long, deep process of unpicking a lot of stuff that I've locked away. Um, for us as a family and for her in particular, it's been having a very can-do attitude to everything. So um, this is a this story will make people laugh, but it was horrible at the time. I laugh at myself for it now. But the night she was diagnosed, I followed people around the hospital speaking to anyone who would speak to me about my daughter's diagnosis and whether or not she would be able to get drunk at university. She was nine <laughs> years old, bear this in mind. Um, that was my very specific question. And it came from the fact that when I was at university, I had a friend who had type one diabetes who died in her sleep. Um, and I knew that alcohol with insulin is quite a, it's a lethal combination. It has to be very carefully managed. Um, but that kind of set the tone for how we've lived life since. So two days after she was diagnosed and the day we were discharged from hospital, she was due to, um, take us a, a surfing simulation lesson. So she's nine years old. She'd never surfed before. Um, and we had this surf simulator and she was booked to do it. And she's that kind of girl. She's up for anything. And I said, well, we're going to do it. I don't care about this diagnosis. It is not stopping us. And so we all went off to the venue and I took um, a great big hold all of medical supplies, in including a sharp spin for the needles, which I wouldn't do now. I just keep them in my pocket till I get home and deal with them at home. Um, but I had everything and I, I had the rule book and I was going according to after every half hour during exercise, you stop, you test your blood sugar, you have a, you have a biscuit or whatever you have. Um, and we did it and it was terrifying. And I was in such a stressed state and I stayed that way for the next two years, but partly because I was adamant and so was she. And I, I, I told her this was not going to um, make her life less. We make our life harder, but not less. And we've we've adopted that all the way through. So all the things that I didn't know she'd be able to do, and I still don't know how she's going to be able to go to university and be without me, but I know that she will because I didn't know that she would be able to do her first residential trip with school at the age of 11, and she did. And I didn't know how she would be able to go abroad with her school and she did. And I didn't know how she would ski with diabetes. And she did. And so I know that each time we get to another hurdle, it will happen and we will be able to make it happen. And just as a, as a, a, a kind of flip side to that coin, 
I, it's one of my pluses in that blog post. It's taught me to be less of a worrier in general. So I was a massive catastrophizer, as, as you can see from age nine, will she be able to get drunk in 10 years time? <laughs> um, I've stopped worrying about things that are happening within any anywhere outside of two months away from now. I don't worry about it. I know it's on my horizon. I know I'll worry about it when I get there, but I don't worry about it now because there's just no point. That makes a lot of sense. And I really like that, that focus that, you know, you're, her life will not be less. I think that's what a lot of parents are thinking when they're trying to, you know, put in that effort that really um, touched me for sure. And, and, and the idea of the can do attitude, and you're right, like, you know, you do you make it through you figure it out, like as you get to all of those pieces. And that's great that she's been able to do all of those things. And, and you guys can support her through it. Um, so yeah, you kind of touched on, you know, some learnings through this journey. And I think um, that's really helpful. Um, is there anything else in that area that you'd want to share? Sounds like we should check out your blog post. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think reach out to, and you've, you've already, you're obviously doing the same thing, reach out to other to communities who are dealing with the same as you. Um, because one of the things I found the hardest was that friends and family in my life didn't get it. Mm -hmm. They did not understand what we were going through. Some of them were judgmental and thought we were being um, too precious. We were overreacting, uh, especially because diabetes is is one of those things that's quite often spoken about in the media, and it can be pejorative. Um, media hype can can be all around. Well, if you've got diabetes, it's your own fault, or it isn't that big a deal. You just eat some sugar. Um, when in actual fact, it's it. it, it it's life-threatening every hour of every day, even when you're asleep. And no, I couldn't make anyone understand that. And it felt so lonely. Mm -hmm. People think they know. And I think it must feel the same with food allergies, I imagine. People yeah. think they know what it's about. And in reality, they have no idea. And you trying to explain it to them. For me, in some cases, it just caused me to be I wouldn't say I wouldn't want to say, go so far as to say ostracized but I could tell that people felt uncomfortable with what I was saying mm -hmm. they either didn't believe me or they thought I was becoming really high maintenance um, and so I had to stop talking to some friends about it and that felt so incredibly lonely that at a time when I was desperate for support from the people in my life I found myself having to explain myself to them and be accommodating to their feelings about it. So the the only saviour that I had in that was finding the Facebook groups full of the parents who mm -hmm. knew exactly what we were dealing with. And they've become friends. Yeah, absolutely. And it took me a long time to get there on the panda side and the, even the food allergy side to kind of find those Facebook groups. But I hear what you're saying. And, and I think one of the things I really railed up against is like, I didn't want to be 
um, you know, while you're going through all of that, then also sort of judged as that mom, you know, that's yeah. like, oh, she's over the top about this or, you know, oh, mm-hmm. like, as you mentioned, the food allergies, like, oh, yeah, you know, we have to hear about this. Guy. Like, there, there's just so much judgment out there. And while you're yeah. already, you know, going through, um, you know, your own challenges. And so, yeah, I can really identify with that, finding the right community. <laughs> mm, yeah, definitely. And so, you know, you mentioned that your daughter is going to be transitioning probably out of the home soon. Um, And I guess I'm just wondering where you feel in this journey, like you're being able to give time for your own self-care as she's getting older, it sounds like. Um, any, Any other kind of important places that you are in this journey at this time? Um. Uh, I think so, but not probably to do with the with the diabetes. Actually, I what she's my eldest child, so mm-hmm. I have about eighteen months now until she will go away to university, um, and then my youngest child is nearly fifteen, so he'll he'll be a couple of years behind her. And I'm as most parents of teenagers that age are. I'm coming to the realization that my life as a parent is going to be not over, but very small compared to how it's been for the last 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I need something else. I've started to feel that there is actually, I would say it's grief again. There's definitely mm-hmm. some loss going on for me already, despite the fact that I haven't lost her. Um, because her life is busy with other people. She's quite frequently not here. She waitresses in a restaurant in the evenings. So she's not here in the evening. She's either working or she's with friends. Um, She's really busy with work. And so actually we don't see a lot of her these days. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm, I spent quite a while being a bit mournful about that and then I came to the conclusion that this actually is my learning curve this is the thing that is going to make it feel less devastating when that on that day when I do drop her at Mm -hmm. university um, because I'll be a little bit used to it by then but in that process I've I've decided well it's dawned on me that I need something else in my life so as well as um, having counseling for myself which I've found so useful. I've loved it so much and seen the benefit of it so much that I'm now training to be a counsellor. Oh, wow. So there's a positive in there. It's taken me to places that I might not have gone. It's taken me to difficult things that I didn't want to have to deal with. But through that, I've found probably the next career that I have. You know, I, I was an operations director first, then I was a mother, and then I'm going to be a counsellor. That's amazing. And I'm sure, yeah, you could give so much to parents that are going through um, any kind of a health issue with their child um, as well with that too. Yeah, well, I'd like to. It's just supporting people when they're in the most Mm -hmm. awful place of their lives and they they just didn't want to be there and just giving people, helping people through that to the other side. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. Um, I guess before we wrap up, are there any additional tools or advice um, that you want to talk about uh, in terms of health issues with children, or even if you want to talk a little bit about your blog and your podcast? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, 
what what have I learned? I mean, uh, the the standard one with children is as a mom, just trust your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew something was wrong, uh, and I was being told it was probably just a bladder infection, or because uh, when you've got type one diabetes, your symptoms are initially needing to drink a lot and go to the toilet a lot. So I was. I was dismissed because it's not the most common diagnosis, but I knew it was more than that. And I hear that time and time again, people just know that there's something not right. So if you know that, then keep pushing. That's definitely um, a mantra for, uh, for, for parenting generally. Um, uh, And then not being afraid to feel what you feel and be honest about what you feel because I've, I've found that's been the most dangerous thing is to try and push my feelings aside, numb them, squash them because they just keep popping up. So from the mental health point of view, just sit with your feelings if it's feeling difficult and acknowledge them and hear them out. And that's what I get from my guests on my podcast. So the podcast is called Teenage Kicks. Um, And I interview adults who went through something tough as a teenager and they tell me how it was, how it felt um, and what they wish their parents had known at the time, as well as how they've come through it and what they've learned from it. So it's always quite a tough story. I've got some very tough stories on there, but it's always a really positive story. So just that time to reflect on difficult things and, and and not try to avoid them I would say is a is a, a good strategy that sounds great and and I'm sure a lot of that can be done through the counseling and and all the things like that but yeah even just sitting with yourself for a little while that makes sense um, and I definitely experienced that myself with that listening to mother's intuition with both of the kids, like in both um, mm. the food allergy situation. And then also um, with the pandas uh, diagnosis, both times I was told, no, no, mm. <laughs> basically. And I was like, no, okay. <laughs> you have to yeah. become an advocate. And and that can yes. be a really tough role, you know, depending on your personality and yes. and all of that kind of stuff. Yes, it's really tough. Actually, um, in terms of tools, learning to be confident as an advocate is is so important. So I've had to do that so many times with school when they haven't taken it seriously. I'm sure you've been there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For sure on the, the food allergy side. And then um, it's it's been more of like an education role mm-hmm. with pandas because just it seems nobody um, knows as much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's, that's great advice. I think um, a lot of people will identify with your story and a lot of um, the, the tips and advice that you've kind of given today. I think that's really helpful. So if listeners do want to find out more about you, there's your blog blog um and then also the podcast teenage kicks is there any other way on social media or online that they should look to connect with you yeah instagram that's where i hang out most of the time i'm i am helen wills on instagram and i talk about all sorts of things there i talk about midlife fashion and not fading away into old age and just having more of a life to live but i also talk about uh, the kind of funny and difficult aspects of parenting teenagers um, and and a little bit about diabetes. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds great. Okay, wonderful. Um, I'm sure they will want to connect with you there. So thank you so much for your time today. I think this was great. Like I said, um, so much in here and so much that I personally identify with as well. Thank you. It's been really lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much to Helen Wills for her time today. I honestly learned so much about type 1 diabetes. I didn't really know that I did not understand this disorder. I didn't know it was an autoimmune condition. And hearing how challenging it can be to um, parent and try to manage that disorder, it just, it really hit home. And I definitely can um, identify and, and see the challenges in in doing that. And I hope that others who are maybe experiencing this have felt that sort of being seen when when hearing Helen's story today. If you are looking to connect further with Helen and learn a lot more about her parenting tips and some of the work that she's doing in terms of understanding teens, you can connect with her on Instagram at I am Helen Wills. You can listen to her on the Teenage Kicks podcast, and I'm sure she's going to love to have you over there and also find her blogging at Actually Mummy. I hope you enjoyed the show this week and that you also learned a lot about uh, not only type 1 diabetes, but parenting during challenging times. Keep well, everyone, and have a great week. Are you interested in having a published author speak in your classroom or at your community event? I'd be interested in speaking about my new novel, Pendulum by S.E. German, the writing process, mental health, Panda's Pans, podcasting, and more. Contact me at reallifeprojectco at gmail.com for both in-person and online bookings. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se hyphengerman.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit Kofi ko-fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.